I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. Your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Hello, and welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 14. Today, we're diving into one of the greatest challenges facing hunters, getting hunting permission on private land. We've got some great tips, tricks, and stories, so stick around and enjoy. All right, welcome to the Wired Hunt podcast. Here with me today is my co-host, Dan Johnson. How you doing, bud? Mark, I think our friendship has has grown over the past couple weeks since we've done the podcast. And when you go away for a week out west and you, you don't keep in communication with me, I get worried. <laughs> I'm sorry, bud. <laughs> it just, you know, I thought, I thought we had a good enough relationship to where you could tell me where you're, where you're at, what you're doing, if you're safe. You know, I, you know, I let you down. You're yeah, right. Just I, don't let it happen again. I really did. Uh, yeah. And I was in Colorado with no cell phone or internet or GPS or any of that stuff, but I should have found a way to get a hold of you. You're absolutely right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It was a good vacation though. Like you said, yep. I was, I was gone all last week, uh, backpacking out in the, the mountains of Colorado and, uh, geez, it was gorgeous, gorgeous country. Oh man, I'm jealous. So jealous. Yeah, it's um, I got a thing for the mountains. I love getting out there, deep in them, away from people. And uh, so yeah, we spent six days, I think, out in northern Colorado, um, just all up in the mountains there in Rocky Mountain National Park and the Comanche Peak Wilderness. And then in three weeks, my wife and I are going to do a ten day backpacking trip in Glacier National Park out in Montana. So. Well, if for some reason you're you have a, a suitcase that weighs somewhere around two hundred and thirty pounds, just <laughs> don't open it until you get there. All right. I will right. uh I, I will make sure I don't do that. The tough thing might be convincing my wife not to wonder what it's in there, but I'll see what I can do. Just have, make sure she just you know, tell her, trust me, okay? Just trust me. <laughs> yeah. That uh rarely goes over with her, but I'll <laughs> give it a good shot. <laughs> But yeah, um, I'm back in business here in Michigan and, you know, our attention is turned back to whitetails. I got back on Sunday and right away I went out and checked trail cameras and um, was planting food plots this past uh, Monday. So, you know, definitely right back in the swing of things. Season's going to be here before we know it. 
That's right. Anything good on your cameras? Uh, you know, I'm a little disappointed to tell you the truth so far. Um, you might remember one of those bucks I've been um, hunting the past couple of years here in Michigan, the one I called Leaner. He disappeared towards the end of the last season, but I've been hopeful he'd be around, but uh, no sign of him yet. Um, there's one buck that looks like it's got pretty decent growth. He'll, he'll definitely be a shooter. I don't know how big he'll be, but he's got kind of unique, really tall and tight rack, so he'll be kind of cool. Um, but other than that, there's you know a couple two-year-olds, and so we'll see. Hopefully this is you know just, just early, and there'll be good stuff to come soon. But This, uh, uh, this week or this past week, for some reason, the Iowa tag draw was a month earlier than it was last year. Oh. And my buddy Ryan, who has been filming for me for like four years now, has drew, finally drew his Iowa tag. Yes. Yeah. So yes. I'm, I am pumped. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're going to give up your rut. I'm like, dude, this guy, he's a great guy. He's a real good friend. And I am so pumped to film him this year. I saw that on Facebook. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm 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 stoked for Ryan. I know he um he's put in his time filming for you, so that's gonna be pretty cool. That's a fact. That's and our uh, what do you usually take two weeks off that time yep. of year? Two weeks, uh, for you know, and I base it off your rep prediction every every uh, year that you post it. So oh, yeah. uh, it's first first and second week in November that we will be uh, knocking them out. Hopefully, that's awesome. That's gonna be uh, an exciting time of year. I cannot cannot wait yes um and you know this kind of brings us to our topic that we're going to talk about today um you know we actually had plans to have a guest on the show today and we were all planning to talk about some interesting things with um with our guest but unfortunately that fell through so you and me dan we're going to kind of play it off the cuff here and wing it um and i think you know what we were planning talking about was ways to get hunting access getting permission on hunting land and that's something that a lot of people struggle with, you know, myself included sometimes. So, so what do you think? Is that a good one to talk about? Yeah. Well, we're good at shooting from the hip. So I say we do it. I agree. Uh, and you know, as I mentioned, this is something that I've heard a ton about from people. I actually have, um, you know, when people sign up on Wired to Hunt to be part of our newsletter, um, one of the questions I always ask all of our readers is, you know, what's something that you're struggling with right now? And I'd say probably, by far the largest the largest majority of questions I get are related to finding hunting ground. Probably 30 to 40% of all the responses I get to that question are related to finding places to hunt. So, you know, this is a big challenge for people. And over the years, you know, I personally have, you know, been bouncing around. I've lived in a handful of different places over the past like six or seven years. So I've struggled trying to find new spots and I've been trying different states and different areas. Um, so I've learned a thing or two and I've got some friends that have done a really good job of, of figuring this whole thing out. So I think I've got a couple of good ideas to share with folks and, and I know you do too. Um, so that said, you know, I think the, the most interesting thing related to this just recently is related to you, Dan. You told me that just the other day you found out that you have access to a whole bunch of land in Nebraska. Do you want to tell us how that came to be? Well, and it all started when we had uh, Bernie, right? Bernie on the on the podcast talking about do-it-yourself hunts. Yeah, Bernie Berenger. Yep, and it put a little, I don't know, a little thought in my head about, okay, so I went to work, I looked, uh, I looked at my vacation time, and I'm like, okay, I have four extra days I can play with. I am taking a, a trip to Seattle for a wedding, 
and then I have my two standard weeks that I always take off for the rut in November, and I had four extra days left. And then this little thought turned into a small tree, and then the small tree turned into a sequoia, and now I am for sure going on a hunt somewhere, and, and I've narrowed it down now to Nebraska. But So I started my research looking at um, public access, and I even had people just out of the blue contact me on Facebook, say, hey, man, if you're interested, uh, I'll, you can come hunt my property. So I, I was I try to be a good grandson, and I call my grandma once a week, and we have a little chit-chat about the weather or how the neighbor's leaves b- blow in her yard and she gets mad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I told her, yeah, I'm going to Nebraska. I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about doing some hunting for mule deer. Well, you should, uh, you should contact your grandpa's cousin. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what do they do? Well, they have a cattle ranch out there. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And it's in the Sand Hills. Which, from my understanding, is a really good place for that. Yeah, I've heard now, the same I, thing. I don't know about, and I, I looked at a, a density map, and it's, I think it's eighty percent mule deer, twenty percent whitetails out okay. there. So that's that. There's that. So I, you know, I get the number from my grandma. I call him up. Long story short, the guy I talked to, probably now in his eighties, tells me he sees whitetails, antelopes, and uh, mule deer on a daily basis on their on their ranch and come to find out I have access to 25,600 acres. <laughs> Good night. Now I'm not, I'm not trying to brag because I got lucky on this. Okay. I really didn't have to work very hard to get this property because you know, in a way I'm kind of family and, uh, and they're like, yeah, that's fine. And you know, and, you know, we do have a couple of hun- other hunters, but they hunt with guns. And, you know, how many hunters can clog up 25,600 acres? Now, <laughs> you know, not all those, not all those acres are going to be good, but I'm going to have some, some, uh, land to play around with. And so, yeah, I was excited. I was pretty excited when I found that out. Oh, I bet I'm jealous. I feel like, uh, I feel like I'm obligated to to jump in your suitcase now and, and head out there and right. take up a little bit of that land. That's just too much for one guy. I know it is. <laughs> it is. The cool thing about it is that it has since the land was, I, I don't even want to say purchased, but I guess from what the landowner told me, they have, they, the government basically gave them the land back in 1913 to use, to make money, to, you know, help, help the U S economy. So, oh. So the land was basically given to them to in 1913. Jeez. And it's been in the family ever since. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is. That's awesome. Well, that's a bit, an awesome part about going out west to hunt is just there's so much more land, there's yeah. so much more availability, and fewer hunters. And right. stuff like that can happen. But, right. But that's cool. I think one of the things you did there um, relates to a couple of the tips I know we wanted to share a little bit later about ways to um, to get permission and to get land to hunt on. Um, but I thought to start maybe, um, if you don't mind, Dan, I'll kind of share a little bit of my process of, of kind of how I go through this whole thing, starting at the point of, Hey, I need somewhere to hunt and how I go through that. And then maybe we can bounce around and talk through our different ideas for going through that process. Let's do it. 
Excellent. So, all right, let's say hypothetically, oh, not even hypothetically, I'm actually in this situation right now. Um, you might have saw, I don't know, a month ago or so, I posted an article on Where to Hunt about why I decided to cancel my plans to hunt in Iowa. Remember that one? Yep. Yeah, so I decided not to hunt Iowa because of budget issues, and instead, I decided to hunt Indiana, which is right next door to where I am. I can get there in like 45 minutes, and it's a much cheaper tag. I don't need to spend you know nights down there, and it's going to save me a whole lot of travel costs. So right. that being the case, I don't know anyone in Indiana. I don't have any property to hunt in Indiana. I'm starting from ground zero. So um, maybe I'll just walk you through where I'm at right now, what I'm doing, and what my plan is. Um, so... To start, before looking for a new property to hunt, you know, I like to narrow down the area that I want to get permission. So I, I've already decided on Indiana as the state. Um, and I you know, chose Indiana as a state, like I said, because it's close, cheap tags. Um, you know, recently, the past 10 years, since they switched to a one buck per hunter rule, they're the, kind of the age structure of mature bucks has really increased. They're seeing some great deer out there in Indiana. So it looks like it's going to be a quality hunt. Um, so I did a lot of research. I looked into Pope and Young record book entries, Boone and Crockett, um, looked at a whole number of different things. Um, and I actually, we talked about this back in the Bernie Berenger episode too, but I had ranked the top 20 DIY states for whitetails um, for an article in North American Whitetail. And so during that whole process, I got a lot of information about Indiana too. So Decide on the state, and then from there, I'm looking to narrow it down to what part of the state do I want to hunt. So to do that, again, like I mentioned, I'm looking in record books to get an idea of the quality of deer, and so I'm also looking at terrain. So one of the things I did first is pull up the Pope and Young record books and filter by county. And so I was able to go in there and filter by the number of entries in the past 10 years for every single county in Indiana. And then I just looked at the top like 10 counties. Then I went and I plotted those counties on a map so I could see where the, the greatest um, concentration of the big buck counties are in the state. And then looked at the percentage, so how many hunters are there versus how many actual big deer are being entered. So just gave me an idea of you know what parts of the state have the highest quality. Once I kind of zeroed in on the kind of area, I then was looking at an actual aerial map. So this is my next process. I'll look at Google Maps, or Google Earth, excuse me, and I will look at a high level at the terrain and I'm looking for good cover, um, you know, some food, a good mix of different types of terrain, topography, stuff like that to just get an idea of, of what general areas look of interest to me. Right. So that's where I'm at right now. I've narrowed down. Okay. These couple counties look interesting and this general area within that County really looks good. So excuse me. Now, a couple weeks ago, I drove down to this part of the state and just did a drive by just driving around the county, around these couple areas that looked really good to me, just to get kind of a eyes on the ground, really see what the look and feel of it, see what kind of you know populations there, um, just again to kind of confirm you know how I feel about the general area. Does it look bucky? Does it look like there's going to be a lot of issues with other hunters or um, you know large population centers, etc. And now my final piece is well not final piece, but my next piece is I'm going to be head down there in the next week or so. And now check on the areas that I kind of zeroed in on based on that drive-by and see what kind of deer I can see from the road right. uh, just to confirm, okay, this looks good. Now do I see the quality of deer that I'm hoping to see? Um, and this is all kind of a process that I go through no matter where I'm hunting. Um, when I'm trying to find a new spot, I've done this in Ohio, Indiana, a little bit in Iowa, um, and I didn't come up with this process. This is something a couple of my buddies have really perfected. 
um, when they lived in Iowa, actually. And a couple of my friends still out there do a great job of this. Uh, but I've been able to put it into action here. And I think, you know, it's worked really well for us in Ohio and in Indiana. I think, um, I think it's going to put me on some good deer and just that we're going to see where it goes from here. Once I you know do this final scouting in the next week or so, I'm going to say, okay, hopefully the spots I think look good. I'm going to confirm. So I'm looking at a couple miles square area. Maybe I've looked at the aero maps. I've looked, you know, on the ground, I've scouted a little bit. Now I'm going to try to take a look at actual properties. And this is something that I think you've probably done too. Starting to look at plat maps or GIS online maps to actually identify specific parcels and which specific parcels I like to hunt uh, right. or would like to hunt. Have you done Have you done that at all? Almost everything you just mentioned. I mean, it all starts for me on a, a digital map or a virtual map to where I can see, you know, topography, uh, water sources or, you know, like river bottoms and, and then satellite imagery. Uh, that's where it starts off at, and um, and then I go from there, and you know, try to find the the plat map. I don't do a lot of research into the um, into you know the Boone and Crockett bucks or or Pope and Young bucks taken, and do the ratio per hunters and all that stuff, just because um, I hunt Iowa. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, not to sound like I'm bragging, but we all know you know, how, how good Iowa is. So it's, it's not a matter of, um, how good the, the area is. It's a matter of if there is a mature or a, a, a shooter buck in that particular piece. Right. Right. You know, and then, you know, when the rut comes, it's all out, you know, one's going to make its way through at one time or another. So, so, so yeah, but you know, and after, after you find a piece, you want to, you know, attack, then you fly, then you, you know, pull the plat map, find out who owns it, and uh, then you knock on some doors. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun comes with unlimited storage 
and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. Yes, let's let's talk about that piece there a little bit more before we move on. Um, you mentioned Platmap, and from my experience, Platmap is picked up at like a county clerk's office. It's usually like ten bucks for a little physical book showing the county that you're in, and then that whole county broken up into the parcels. And then at the back of that is an index with the property owner names. Is that what you've you've seen too, Dan? Yeah, uh, on some some counties, and uh, it's weird because some counties do it, some counties don't. Uh, luckily, the county that I hunt in has a digital format of that, so I can zoom in to an area, match it up with what I find on you know Google Earth or something, and a number will pop up. You can actually click on it; it will bring up all the information about this land, what the taxes are, what it's worth, who the owner is, um, where the owner lives, their telephone number. So it's so easy. You have all their information right there in front of you. Yeah. I love that. I've, I, yeah. I do the same thing. I originally started using the physical plat maps, but probably three or four years ago, I just, I discovered the digital version too. And, um, the way I found those is I just Google the county. So let's say um, Oakland County, Michigan. And then I type in Oakland County, Michigan GIS map. And GIS is, I think, I think it's Geographic Information System. And that's something that's kind of used across all government entities across the country. Um, yep. So I've always been able to find, I think, 99% of the time, I found a digital version of these maps for every different county and each different state I've been looking for. And like you said, it's got pretty much everything you could ever want to know. Um, the only thing sometimes it doesn't give you, I've struggled occasionally, is, is sometimes if somebody doesn't live on the property, right. um, you might not be able to get their home address. Uh, but I've got a buddy who's really the king of doing this, who um, he'll find the properties on GS and then he'll do just like fanatical white page searching and different right. online searches and stuff until he can find where that person actually lives. Um and then what he'll do and what I've done, you know, learning from him and a couple other buddies is, you know, I'll have my area I'm interested. Then I get my GIS map and I start identifying the certain properties I'm interested in within that section. And we'll put together a list. And, you know, what I've learned is that in my situation, at least here in Michigan, it's a good idea to put together a big list. Um, so I'll put together a list of maybe 10 or 15 different properties that I'm interested in. And I'll rank order them. So based on, you know, what I see on the aerial maps or what I've seen when I've actually driven around, okay, here's my number one, two, all the way through 15th property. Yeah, pretty serious. You're a, you're a nerd. <laughs> Dude, I pay attention. I'm a detail guy. So I get my whole list together. I have them ranked. And then I get the address and information for each one. And if I can get more information, like, um, 
you know, the name of the husband and the wife that own the farm, own the property. Uh, I've got a buddy, well, the same guy I keep talking about. He's even found out like, who the sons and daughters are, and he'll know, okay, well, the son lives this way down the street, and the daughter lives around the corner. And so he'll have all this mapped out in his notebook when we go to check an area out. He's a he's a genius at this stuff. But like a detective. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> in a weird stalkerish way. No. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it's good to have your ducks in a row because what we like to do, and this is another one of my big tips kind of, is that once you have your list, for me, I like to go and try to knock them all out in one fell swoop. So, you know, we'll go down to Southern Ohio. Um, or I, mean, I guess I'll share, I'll share a story here um, of when we did this about three years ago. Me and my friend, um, his name's Corey. Me and Corey went down to Southern Ohio with the plan of finding some ground to hunt. Um, down in the south southwest corner of the state and so we went through this whole process that i've just explained did the looking on the maps looked at big buck entries found a general area took a look at the gis maps picked a bunch of properties we liked put together our list drove down to southern ohio one day in um, early march and we had a list of like 15 properties and what we did is we went and we knocked on the doors of every single one of those people just one after the other after the other, after the other. And we just planned on making a whole day, day and a half of it. And for me, at least, I found that doing them all in one fell swoop is a really good thing because my biggest challenge when it comes to getting, you know, asking for permission on land is I get nerves. I get nervous about it. I find excuses not to do it. Um, there's always some reason why, oh, today I'm not going to do it. You know, it just can be an uncomfortable situation having to go ask someone, knowing that you're probably going to get rejected by a lot of people. Um, so what I just have to do is I just need to commit, okay, today we're doing this. And then once I knock on the first door, it's a lot easier to knock on the second. And then right. it's even easier to do the third is you just keep going. You just build momentum, you get over it and you just go. So I think that's a great, I think it's a great tip for people, especially those who kind of don't like the idea of talking to random people knocking on doors, asking to, you know, use their land. If you can just suck up, suck it up one day and just go do it. You can right. get out of the way, and you'll you'll feel a lot better afterwards. And the worst thing that they're going to tell you is no. But even though I've been told no way more times than I've been told yes, typically it's followed by, hey, thanks for asking permission first. Because a lot of these people have had trespassers. You know, they bust trespassers all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like you said, I mean, right now, before you have permission, the answer already is no. So right. nothing worse can happen than and being told no again. So, right. so and and don't give up. I mean, I have asked this I've asked this particular property owner five five no 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 this year will be the sixth year and I haven't asked him yet, but I'm gonna go ask him. I, I ask him every year and I say, Hey, um just kind of curious if uh any positions have opened up. I know the answer is gonna be no. But the second that whoever quits hunting there they're gonna see they're gonna know me and they're gonna say you know hey dan johnson wants to hunt here let's let him hunt yeah that's a great a great point um and i think something related to that is the fact that every time you ask you're probably going about it in such a way that they'll remember you positively right so that when it does come around to your um, possible opportunity they're gonna think hey that dan johnson guy was half decent am i right right that's right that's right i mean it's just just being nice. That's that's all these people want. And they're going to tell you, hey, I already have hunters. I hunt myself. Or 
no, I don't allow hunting. I mean, it's their property. They can do whatever they want to with it. Um, but if you come across as an a-hole, <laughs> of course they're going to tell you no. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to be polite, understanding. Um, and this, this whole idea of how you present yourself when you're asking for permission is pretty important, I think. Um, but before, I want to talk about that. But quickly before we do that, I want to jump on something that is related to what you just said. You know, they're going to say no or they're going to say somebody else is hunting the property or I hunt the property. Something I like to do whenever I'm in that situation, which, you know, eight times out of ten or nine times out of ten, that's what happens. I always make sure to, you know, like you said, be polite, understanding, but then always ask, you know, hey, do you by chance know anybody else I should talk to? Or is there anyone else in the area that, you know, might have an opening or is looking to, you know, have a few deer taken, whatever it might be? I always ask that question just in case. Right. And most times they'll say, well, maybe talk to Joe Johnson down the street or talk to so-and-so. He might have a spot. I usually always get a lead. Right. Right. And the other thing, be certain or let them know what season you want to hunt. Because for me, I don't gun hunt. I don't shotgun hunt. I don't muzzleloader hunt. I am strictly bow hunting. A lot of these properties have hunters on them, but not bow hunters. Because, you know, more people gun hunt than bow hunt. There's, there's your, there's another possible opening for you to say, Hey, I don't, you know, I'm looking to bow hunt only i don't gun hunt i'm not interested in gun hunting let them know that because then they don't think of you as just another hunter you're a bow hunter and there's a completely different season for that and you're not going to ruin their gun hunting yeah that is a really good point and i think also for a lot of people especially those that aren't as comfortable with hunting the idea of a bow hunter versus a gun hunter is, is something they feel more comfortable with i think less for, invasive yeah exactly and and some people just are kind of nervous about people walking around their property with guns, but right. a bow, you know, doesn't really strike that same kind of concern. So that's a really good idea to make sure you mention that. Um, and I've, I, that's how I have gained majority of my access because all of the, all the pieces that I hunt have shotgun hunters that hunt them after I'm done with the property. So I'm getting first dibs, uh, most of the time. And, and then knowing that, okay, he's not going to ruin anything on our drives. Um, you know, I, I'm out until shed hunting season typically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, so jumping back to what we were just talking about before the presentation, and we already, already talked about, you know, just being nice and polite and everything. But I also think there's a couple other things that will, you know, impact how the landowner perceives you when you're asking or after you ask. And, you know, one of the first things is, your dress code, like how you actually are physically presented. Um, in my opinion, I've always thought clean cut, um, not overly fancy though, and, and obviously not dirty. I would, you know, I typically wear like a nice pair of jeans and a button down shirt, um, or, you know, khakis and a polo or something. It depends on where you're at, where you're asking, depends on the culture there and everything, but just make sure they think that you look like a decent individual. Right. Um, but definitely don't show up in like a suit and tie. Right. Um, or at the same time, don't show up wearing cutoff jeans and a wife beater, I think. Right, right. I think that's, that's, that's a good thing to, to mention is me, I will go to their door, and I'm not talking filthy dirty, but something that makes it look like you're a hardworking person. Yeah. You know what I mean? A little dirt on the jeans or on your, on your uh, dickies or um, you know, just a, a T-shirt, a hat, maybe some gloves in your back pocket, a pair of work boots. Something that shows, hey, I'm a hardworking person. You can trust me. 
and you know, I have I have a pretty big beard right now, and <laughs> I I people you know feel comfortable, you know maybe from a first impression if they look me look at me walking up their driveway, oh my God, get the gun, Doris! Look at this guy, he's coming coming to get us, but <laughs> that's you know, that's the way I thought the first time I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> shake their hand, introduce yourself, look them straight in the eye, tell them your intentions, and you know smile. I got crooked teeth, man. I'm not going to lie, but you, <laughs> smi- you smile at them. They're going to, they're going to feel less threatened and start a conversation about, Hey, this is what I'm doing. How, how have you been? Hey, you know, maybe some small talk first about, you know, Hey, did you get all your crops in? Um, I see, you, I see, uh, you got a, got a couple dogs. What, what breed is that? You know, it's just, a, just something to open up a little bit of a conversation and don't just come in and go, hi, my name's Dan. I want to hunt your property because they're going to go, well, you can start by getting off it, you know? So, so yeah, this brings up a good point. Um, an interesting, this I think comes to different styles, right? So I know some guys who can just BS with a guy for no reason. Right. And then other people I know will go up there and be super awkward and you know be squirming, not really knowing what to talk about or what to say. And I always kind of approach it. It's hard to tell. There's some people, some landowners who like to talk to random people. Right. And there's other guys. You show up and if you start BSing with them, the guy's like, what are you doing on my property? Why are you here? Why are you talking to me? Right. Um, so for me, I'm a little more, again, probably related to my own personality. I'm a little more detailed and I plan this stuff ahead. So what I'll do is I actually have what I'll call in the business world, people call this an elevator pitch. Um, and in you know, that case, in the business cases, you need to know, like let's say you're starting a new business, your elevator pitch would be, who are you and what's your business idea? Explain it in 30 seconds. So that if you see somebody in an elevator, by the time you get off that elevator and you're taught, you meet some random guy, they'll remember who you are afterwards. So right. what I try to do is have a short kind of, pre-scripted, not scripted, but just a general idea of what my quote-unquote elevator pitch is going to be right. when I walk up to that door. That way, I'm just not knocking on a door and staring at a guy in the face and saying, uh, uh, Mark. <laughs> so, right, right. So I'll basically go in there and explain, hey, I'm so-and-so. I live down the street, just moved down here, you know, last year, um, how things go and blah, blah, blah. And then I don't spend too much on the front end um, BSing until I at least get the basic um, idea of the fact I wanted, you know, sorry for knocking on your door this time of night. Was just looking for a couple spots to hunt in the area. Was curious if you or if anyone in the area, you know, might be open to something like that, blah, blah. And then yeah. I always like to BS and talk as much as possible during or afterwards. Um, but I usually have a plan of the basic way I'm going to get that first piece out and then kind of free freelance it from there. Um, right. But I think I think it's a decent idea to at least in your head have an idea of how you're going to start that conversation, um, unless you're the kind of person that can just wing it all the time. But I think for me, it's all, it's helped to have a general idea of, of how to get that going. Right, and a majority of the people that I talk to also are farmers, and if you don't know farmers, they're always busy. Right. They may not look busy, but they're always busy. And uh, they always have things to do, especially if they have livestock as well. Um, and this time of year, you know, with calves and, um, you know, making sure crops are in and all that stuff, get to the point. But I always like to, you know, I like to BS a little bit. I would say I'm probably better at it than most people. But you have to be able to read a person's, I don't know, their, how they are. Yeah. 
because it, if you got a guy staring you straight in the face with kind of a mean look on his face, he probably just wants you to go away. <laughs> yep. Okay? So get to the point with this guy. Then you got other guys who, if they're asking you questions back, that then you can start opening up and start start a conversation with them, as opposed to you know certain people who are just like, who are you? What do you want? Yes or no? Goodbye. Yeah. So true. So yep. true. And like and you I've, said, yeah, I've had experiences with all of them. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. Yep. You got to read the situation and then, uh, you know, advance appropriately. Right. And definitely, you know, it can, if somebody wants to engage with you and you're not willing to, if you're just like straight to the point and want to get out of there, that's not going to help you out in the future no. either. Because, you know, like we said, let's say you're chatting with someone, they tell you no, um, but you still have that opportunity to ask them if they know anyone else. Um, right. Or, you know, what I always like to do is, you know, thanks so much for, um, you know, for chatting with me totally understand that, you know, this won't work out. If in the future something changes, you know, here's my card or here's my phone number. If you, if you happen to remember, would really appreciate if you could let me know, would love, you know, a chance to blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and you never know if you leave a positive impression, they might reach out or like you said, keep reaching out in the future to them, checking and your opportunity might come. Yep. Um, another thing, um, you know, that I'll also do, not only will I ask them, uh, do you know of anyone else, but I'll also mention, you know, just, you know, if you happen to chat with anyone, 
in the next couple of weeks and you hear something like that, you know, would you be willing to reach out to me? Um, something like that. And, you know, most people are like, oh, sure. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. Um, but at least having that card or that phone number to give to them opens up that opportunity that maybe if there's a chance, someone might reach out with an idea. So if you're nice and if you're the kind of person that they enjoy being around and they thought was, you know, a respectful guy or girl, you know, that might happen. Right. Right. That very rarely, I mean, that very rarely happens with me. Yeah. Um, back to the, they're always busy type of, but you know, the, the, the areas that I hunt, these, these properties have been in these families. Most of these properties have been in these families for, for 70 to a hundred years. So they know everybody, everybody knows them. It's almost like you have to get into their inner circle before you can make them feel comfortable. And that's why, I, like I said earlier, don't give up with just one year and walk away. And don't, because the next year they'll recognize you. They'll say, okay, this guy's serious. He's not just some one-timer coming in and out. You know, he's serious. He wants to establish a relationship with me. And you know, obviously they're not going to say that. But you know, establish that relationship – Hell, they may say no again, but like I said, you know, the property, my best hunting property that I have took me two years of no's and then the third year I got, I got a yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Perseverance. Yep. So keep at it. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, not really totally related, but something I just thought of that I know we had been speaking about a little bit earlier off air. Um, one of the kind of tricks of the trade that I've found successful when it comes to asking for permission is not starting right off the bat asking for deer hunting permission because deer hunting is one of the most popular things. There's a lot of guys that want to deer hunt. Um, you know, sometimes the landowner is a deer hunter, but they might be more likely to allow some other type of hunting or activity on the property. So for me, what I do a lot is I'll ask permission early in the year, um, February or March and ask the landowner for permission to walk their property and look for antlers and nine or maybe six times out of 10, People have no idea what you're talking about, and they'll say, "Sure, you, there's antlers out there. Go for it." Um, occasionally, someone will know, and they'll let, they'll still let you. But either way, it's it's a lot easier to get permission to shed hunt a property. So we get permission to shed hunt, appreciate, you know, thank them, chit chat with them, take advantage of this opportunity to BS with them, just again establish a little bit of rapport, head out there and go shed hunting. This gets you an opportunity to do some scouting too. Check out that property. Now you can really tell, hey, is this look at it, like it has the potential I want it to have? Or maybe you walk it and you realize that it's waste know, of time. Waste of time. Yeah. So then you you don't even bother asking for anything more. But let's say you go out there, you find some giant sheds, some huge rubs, looks great, no sign of other hunters. Now you go back, you thank them again for letting you shed hunt. Um, you know, share your stories, tell them, oh yeah, this is great, really appreciate it. Here's what I found. Um, you know, offer maybe in this case, offer to help out with something around the farm. And, you know, maybe a couple of days later or a week or two later, or maybe that same day, depending on whatever your situation is, maybe then you can also slip into your conversation with them. Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed being able to do this. Um, I noticed there didn't seem to be a whole lot of sign of other hunters out there. You know, do you have someone bow hunting your property? Would it be okay if I might stop in here sometime this fall, blah, blah, blah. Um, and lots of times you can get opportunities that way. Um, Shed hunting's worked for me, but I know some people that ask for turkey hunting permission, coyote yep. hunting permission, mushroom hunting, whatever it is. If you get permission to do that and you do that activity, 
come back and talk to them, and they see you didn't do anything bad, you were respectful, you didn't destruct their property at all, that helps build that trust that can lead to potentially deer hunting in the future. Right. Yeah. I agree with everything you said except mushroom hunting. Around where around where I hunt, mushroom hunting is like sacred. Really? Nobody tells you they're they're good spots. No it's all secret. Oh no, we don't have any good mushrooms. Then <laughs> the one day the lady goes, Oh no, we don't have too many good mushroom spots here. And I have all, I already have permission to hunt it. I come up, uh, after I, I think I took down a tree stand or something one day, she had like five gallon bucket full of mushrooms. I'm like, Nope. <laughs> so I, I gave her a hard time because I have, I have a good relationship with her now. It's like no mushrooms, huh? <laughs> She's like, Oh no, I just, I happen to run into these on accident. I'm like five gallons. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an accident, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But um but yeah, I think other than mushroom hunting in Iowa, you can probably get away with with asking for these different activities um and then going for it. Um not, something I just mentioned there I think applies in general that being let's say you do get permission to shed hunt or maybe even deer hunt, whatever it is, if you get permission, do something to say thank you for that landowner exactly. because if you just got shed hunting permission and if you show again your gratitude, this might help you get deer hunting permission. And if you did get deer hunting permission, if they see that you're respectful and you show that gratitude, it will help you keep that permission. Um, so for me, I, I've, I've personally done things to help around farms, done some wood cutting, uh, done different little projects like that, you know, offered to mow someone's lawn, stuff along those lines. I know other people that, you know, will bring a gift basket at the end of the season um, or will give the landowner venison, give them gift cards. Um, I don't know. Have you done anything like that or experienced something like that, Dan? I've installed a satellite dish. Nice. I have um, cut down trees. I have put gravel, helped them spread gravel on a driveway. And my favorite story I tell people is – what I thought was going to be a 15-minute gate fix turns, turned into an eight-hour job where I, I finally had to tell the guy, listen, I need a drink of water if I'm going to <laughs> doing this. And he, he was you know, some old-timer, and uh, he let me have permission, but he had some, some cattle uh, broke down a fence. And, you know, you're – this this hunting their property is not just something for you, okay? It's their property. You you have to give something back, and I don't mean from like a conservation standpoint, like plant a tree, but help these people out. You know, I you know I've done like you said, I've given old ladies flowers, I've given you know gift cards to Walmart or like a, a local farm store, uh, cut down trees, fixed gates, satellite dish. You know, um, I even helped rip out carpet of an old farm house that was getting re- uh, renovated once. You know, nothing too hard or serious, but you know, it maybe took me a, a, aside from the eight-hour fence job. You know, maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half was the most I worked. But what's that get me? That gets me unlimited hunting bow hunting on this property, shed hunting, turkey hunting. So I get to do whatever I want, but you know, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and, uh, break a sweat. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a very worthwhile investment of your time and energy, I'd say. Right. right. Um, and it's like you said, they're really helping us out and we owe it back to them. Um, 
you know, it's by no means are they obligated to let us hunt their property. It's a privilege. So, you know, we need to be very respectful of that. And, you know, another point is when we're on that property that we've been given permission to hunt on, I think it's an obligation of all hunters to be very respectful of that land. Don't damage things. Be careful to leave it as you found it. Um, Because like you said, you know, this isn't our ground and um, it's important to, you know, represent hunters property properly and, uh, and do ourselves right by the landowners. That's a fact. True story. One, uh, one other random tip. This is something, um, my buddy Corey again, has uh, trademarked this idea, but he has found that he has a lot better luck getting permission with a certain type of homeowner. I guess. And this is a a vast generalization. So it's not always going to be the case, but something to keep in mind. Let's say you're driving down the road and you've got a list of four properties. He'll do a drive-by and he'll look at the house that the landowner has on that property. And oftentimes if it's a really fancy, nice house with a nice car, trim fence, um, lots of times he already knows going into it that that property probably is less likely to get permission on. Because let's say this person is a little more well-to-do. They're probably more active in the community. They're probably more connected with more people. Mm-hmm. More people probably are talking to them. They've got more friends that might be asking for permission or they might have permission. Whatever it is, some of these fancier places seem to have less of a chance to get permission on. Then on the other hand, you might have the older farmhouse where there's tractors in the yard and dogs running around. Um, these folks, again, this is a generalization, doesn't apply all the time. But lots more times, these folks might be more likely to give permission because they might not be heading into town every day and talking to people all the time. They might be just focused on their farm work or focused on whatever it is they do, um, or they just might not care as much, and they might be okay with different people going back out there. So big generalization, but it's something that sometimes is a clue to look for. I don't know. Have you ever seen that? You know, it's. I guess I never really put put, uh, too much into it. I mean... Around where I hunt, they're they're a majority old farmhouses. There's a couple new ones, but it's typically after the farmer has already retired, they just build a new house a hundred feet from their old house that they uh, that they lived in for fifty years, and then somebody else, like a, a farmhand or a, a grandchild or a son, will move into the to the old house. So yeah, you know I. And you know, yeah, it's a it's a generalization, but it doesn't keep me from knocking at their door. I don't care if your your yard's surrounded by pit bulls. <laughs> I'm gonna knock on your door. Oh yeah. You know, unless there's a sign that says "Stay out," you know, "No trespassing," all this stuff, then you know they're not gonna let anybody. You know, a majority of the time they're not gonna let anybody hunt, but I'm still gonna ask because, right. you know, gotta gotta give it a shot. Right. Gotta right. give it a shot, and I think um. I think that is the biggest thing when it comes to this whole topic of getting permission on, on property, on private property. In the end, it comes down to just sucking it up and doing the work and asking. Right. I think probably, and this applies to me, this has been my biggest struggle, like I said before, and I think for a lot of people, is they just never do it. They talk about it. They complain about the fact that ah, I don't have enough places to hunt. I do it too. I, I complain about not having enough spots or, you know, concerned about this spot or that spot or losing a hunting location. Um, it's so easy to complain about our bad luck or whatever, but 
there are a lot of opportunities to get hunting permission. It's just a matter of getting out there and doing the work. And it's a numbers game, like I said. Uh, in a lot of spots, especially here you know, in Michigan, we're with a million hunters, uh, you know, nine out of every ten doors I knock on, I'm probably going to get a no. Right. So I just go into it knowing that. I set right. the proper expectations, and I say, okay, I'm going to be told no a lot. That's okay. I'm ready for it. I'm just going to keep on knocking. And it's a matter of just making up your mind, committing to it, and then taking action. And I think if you do that, good things will eventually happen. But you got to stop making excuses. you got you got to stop putting it off, and you, you just got to make it happen. Right. And if someone tells you no, there's no – there's nothing wrong with a rebuttal. So, for example, what I say is, "Hey, um, do do you mind if I hunt your bow hunt your property? Well, I already hunt it. Well, do you, do you bow hunt it? You know, that's kind of a, a rebuttal. Well, no, I don't bow hunt it. Well, would you mind if I bow hunt it? Well, you know, no, I, I kind of manage my land for my, my gun hunts. Okay, no problem. Or um, do you mind if I hunt your property? Well, I had an accident on the farm with a hunter." um, one time and he tried to sue me and I, and that, well, I would be willing to, um, get a legal document signed that I, you know, if I hurt myself, I can't sue you, which I have two properties that on a yearly basis, I have to put my signature on a legal document saying that I will, I am not responsible for any, um, harm to my body that is caused on this property. Yeah. So, So, you know, offer, offer something like that. You know, they say, yeah, no, I just, you know, okay, here's the, the worst no I got. Do you mind if I uh, hunt your property? Well, my my Indian spirit is a female deer. And <laughs> just please, if you do, don't shoot any does. Because that's my, this lady uh, had, I think she was a hippie. And her parents passed on and, and gave her and her brothers the farm and she was lived the closest, so she was responsible for it. And wowzers, this lady was off the off her rocker, but I got permission to hunt it and I just couldn't shoot does. And I respected for some you know, I could have shot at a hundred does off that property, but I respected her wishes and that because I think karma's a son of a gun too. I you know, I don't want <laughs> yeah. So her or, or some doe to haunt my dreams the rest of my life. Definitely not. Nobody wants uh, spirit does haunting us. No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> well, I, it's I, about that time. I think it's about that time. Once we start talking about the mystics, it's time to close things up. Um, so <laughs> that said, you know, to everyone out there listening, yeah, I hope this has been helpful. Um, I know lots of people have been asking us about how we go about getting permission on pieces of ground. So I hope that, you know, some of our thoughts and ideas here can help you, you know, do that in the future as well. And if you did enjoy the show today, which we certainly hope you did, as we always say, we would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. It's really quick. You just go into iTunes, click on leave a rating review, put a star rating in there and just type in a few sentences about what you like or don't like or love or hate about the show. Uh, We won't take offense. And, you know, we just appreciate that. So thank you in advance for taking the time to do it. It really helps new people find out about the show. And hopefully, you know, the show is helpful. So speaking of thanks, we would also like to thank our partners who help make this show possible. Big thanks to Sika Gear, Bushnell Optics, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. 
That said, be sure to visit wiredhunt.com slash episode 14 to view the show notes from today's episode. And that's where we'll you know, include some other links about things we talked about today. I've got a couple other blog posts um, related to the same topic. So we'll, we'll include that. Um, and then also, you know, check out Dan's blog at the ninefingerchronicles.com. And I think I'm sure Dan will probably post a thing or two about this over the coming months leading to the season two. So I think that's all for us here on the Wired Hunt podcast. So Thank you again, everyone. We appreciate you. We love you. And we really appreciate the fact that you take a little time out of your day to listen to a couple wackos like us talk about deer hunting. So <laughs> until next time, have a great week. Keep on working to prepare for this season. Knock on some doors. Don't be afraid to be told no. And stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil find out more at heartandsoil.co and remember use code meat eater for 10 percent off your purchase outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.